Good morning, good morning. How are we doing? Beautiful morning. Forgive me for taking a little bit of a break. You really, you really, you really can't afford to do that these days. There's just, uh, there's just too much going on to take any sort of break. And, uh, I regret it. What can I tell you? I do regret it. I think that, uh, <clears throat> I owe it to everybody to try to, Keep this daily. We don't want to have everything coming up at once. But there's a lot of uh, developments in different stories that we've been covering. We're going to try to we're going to try to uh, address those. But we're going to break this morning off with something else. We're going to we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the vaccine. We're going to talk about the virus and a little bit of a different, we take a little bit of a different take, a little bit of a different look on it. A little bit of a different look. I'm going to play you a clip from a show called Real Time with Bill Maher. And this is a clip with, um, Bill Maher interviewing Brett Weinstein, Brett Weinstein and Heather Haying. Now, who are who are Brett Weinstein and Heather Haying? One second. Who are Brett Weinstein and Heather Haying? They are. They. One second. Sorry. Excuse me. So, Brett Weinstein, let's read all off the Wikipedia page. Brett Weinstein is an American biologist and evolutionary theorist who came to national attention during the 2017 Evergreen State College protests. He is a member of the informal group known as the Intellectual Web, Dark Web. Now, he has a brother as well. People may know his brother as well. Eric Weinstein, they are they are on the left. Okay, they are on the left. There's no other way to put that. But they might not be on the radical left, although they, you know, maybe they would have been, but they're not. They're not. They're not today. Let's say considered on the radical left. And his wife, uh, Brett's wife, is Heather Haying, and uh, she's also on her. You know, she's a, she as well as a um, is an established individual. So they were interviewed by Bill Maher, who is a pseudo-intellectual. He'd like to think of himself as an intellectual. But he, nonetheless, he is a comedian. And he, he isn't afraid, let's say, to say certain things 
that other people in his circles are afraid to say. He doesn't kowtow to the same, um, the same rules. But let's not fool ourselves. He is just as much inflicted with TDS as the next guy. If not, if not, he is one of the ringleaders of it. So, so he's one of the spokespeople of TDS. So this, this is the fact that we're having this conversation now. It, it, he, he, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna let this play out and I'm gonna break it down into different parts. I'm gonna explain what they're saying. So let's, let, let's, let's, let's let this start. Let's let this start and we'll, and we'll see how it goes from here. Let's talk about that, the fact that there is this lab. I think it's the only one in the world quite like it, in Wuhan, where it started. It would almost be a conspiracy theory to think it didn't start in a lab. <laughs> right? And, and, and that theory was demonized at first, that, oh, it can't. That, come on, that's conspiracy thinking, that it would started in the lab. But it, it certainly is a 50-50. Would you say that? Okay, so notice what he's, how he's posing the question. It's almost conspiratorial not to, to, to think to think otherwise, right? It's almost conspiratorial to think that it didn't start in the lab. Doesn't all the evidence? And you hear is he's he's pausing here as he's doesn't doesn't the evidence really show that it started in the lab? Let's hear what the response is from these two scientists. Uh, it's far more likely than that. As a matter of fact, right. instead, I think in June that the chances that it came from the lab looked to me to be about 90%. Okay. Um, so this was never a conspiracy theory. In fact, that term is simply used to make it go away. It's a, a an obvious hy- hypothesis that is in need of testing, and we are only now, a year in, getting to the point where we can discuss it out loud without being stigmatized. Okay. A big part of the problem, of course, is that... We are so politicized, we are so polarized and partisan now as a country that if the wrong guy proposed this to begin with, and for half the country it was the wrong guy, then the rest of the country says, no way, no how, we're going to call that a conspiracy theory, and uh, and we're never... Okay, so I'm going to repeat what they said here. Brett responds, almost definitely, it, it it was started in the lab in June... It was as he said it was as much as ninety percent of a chance to call it conspiratorial is simply to make it go away. Okay, so who calls it conspiratorial? Then Heather says, you know, this is something that we're too stigmatized to discuss. We're so polarized and politicized as a country, and for half the country it was the wrong guy. The rest of the country says no way, no how. Now, let's ask ourselves a question. Do both sides operate this way? Do both sides operate that if one side says something, the other side says this is a conspiracy theory? No. No. Let's just call this out what, what it is at the very beginning when we hear this. It's very nice that they're willing to talk about this now after 400,000 Americans were labeled as dying from COVID-19. And around the world, we've lost hundreds of thousands of people. They're talking about it now. And exactly in what capacity are they talking about? In what context are they talking about it? We're gonna, we're gonna let this play out because there's so much to unpack here. There's so much to unpack here. But understand that this is simple, simply false. They are, they are trying to portray that both sides play the same game. No. Not both sides. One side does not spend day and night calling the other side racist, sexist, homophobe, bigot, xenophobe, etc., etc., etc. 
One side does that to the other side. One side demonizes the other side daily, constantly. And the other side believes that there's something called free speech. Now, I I happen to think that we shouldn't be playing by these rules, that we should be playing by their rules. I happen to think that at this point. We we shouldn't be play, be be the better the bigger the better person. You you're gonna win by being the better person. No, you don't. And that's what the president showed us. He rather win disgracefully than lose gracefully. There's no there's nothing to lose gracefully. That game that ship has sailed. The other time, yeah, Canada just labeled the Proud Boys a terrorist group. Do you understand what that means? A terrorist group, Hamas, Hamas. Okay, do you know how long Canada took to get legitimate terrorist organizations labeled as terrorist groups? Some of them still haven't even been put on the terrorist group. But they can label the Proud Boys a a group of men which are not even white supremacists because one of their leaders is black. Okay, they have much, much color or Mexican or whatever, the different different nationalities. That's not the point. The point is that they're not in any way a a racist group. And yet... both, not both sides are playing by the same game. Heather goes on to say, I'll just preempt it. Heather goes on to say, this is not how science works. Science has to investigate every issue. Let's have, let's hear her play it as a, uh, listen to this. Never going to revisit it. And the fact is, that's not how science works. That is not science. You need to, you need to say, I've got a pattern. I'm going to make some observations and I'm going to consider every possible explanation on the table. And did it leak from a lab? That was clearly from the beginning a possibility. Okay, so let me ask you this. At first- okay, so now they're going to go into this conversation about the vaccine itself. Okay, they're going to have a little bit of a dialogue about the vaccine and the different, the different uh, options as to how to design the vaccine and why they chose the specific op- options. I'm going to preempt by explaining what Bill's question is. Now, Bill says, I want the new mRNA that I, that I heard you say. You say, so, 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 okay, so there's this, there's an mRNA vaccine. That's the vaccine that's being sent around. That's being, that's being administered. And, and I'm going to explain this to the best of my ability. I'm not, I'm not a scientist, as we know. I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to explain this to the best of my ability. And, 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 and Brett also does break it down in his, in his, in his response. In his response. So, so, so Bill asks the question, why do I want this mRNA vaccine as opposed to how it's always been done was just giving me a piece of the vaccine, a piece of the virus. Normally, the way it works is you give a piece of the virus. Why do I want, why do I want this new, in this new method? And Brett explains that the new method, that the new, that, 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 that this method, that it's not, it's not, there's nothing nefarious about this, this new method as opposed to the old method. Well, well let me, let me let it, let me let them pl- speak themselves and I'll explain. At first, I was going to say, "Oh, when they make me get this, I'm going to. I want the mRNA because it's new. I feel like it's an improvement over the old ones." Then I heard you say, "No," <laughs> even though you're a little squirrely about it tonight. I heard you say you want the one where they have a little piece of the virus in it, the old, the way they did it for many many years. Then I heard about the lab, and I was like, "Wait, if they made that one in the lab, do I really want a little piece of that virus in me? Is it possible there's something?" in a lab-made virus that is different and would make a vaccine different than the ones we've had for decades, which were made from viruses that occurred in nature? Well, this is a, this is a complex topic. The adenovirus... That's why you're here. Right. <laughs> um, the adenovirus is one that you have history with, or at least viruses in that family. 
you ha are very unlikely to have any evolution, evolutionary history with beta coronaviruses, which are the ones that SARS-CoV-2 comes from. So just from the point of view of what unexpected might happen if we give you the adenovirus vaccine, it's much less likely to be dramatic than lipid nanoparticles, which is what the mRNA vaccines are packaged in. Um, as far as the uh, the little... Okay, so what did he, what did Brett, how did Brett respond? He said, this is complex. Adenovirus and its family is only, is one that you have history with. Unlike, unlikely to have evolutionary history. You know, they'll use this, use this term evolution, evolutionary, evolution, evolution. They use this term, they throw this term around. We're not really going to address what they mean with, with this term evolutionary, um, necessarily. You know, they, 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 they are, they are, they are academics. You, understanding Brett, I'll tell you, uh, there's a great interview with, um, Brett is it Brett? Maybe it was Eric, actually. It doesn't really matter. They're both the same in, in, these, in, these, in this capacity. With um, Kub and Eric, uh, at, at Ted Cruz and Michael Knowles on, his, on a podcast called The Verdict. And, and, and Cruz and Knowles are both Ivy League uh, trained, st styled, uh, sophisticated individuals. And yet, and yet they both had to dumb, dumb, dumb them down. So, so we have to realize how they're, they're speaking. They're speaking very, very academically. Nonetheless, so Brett says this is complex. Okay. So Bill's asking, does it change the fact that it may have been made in a lab? Does that change anything? Why, why are we, why are we changing the way that we, that we, that we, uh, have always, you know, change, why are we changing the method of vaccines? We've always given a certain, uh, you know, a vaccine where it's a piece of me. So, so Brett says, 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 this is complex. Adenovirus and its family is one that you have history with. Unlike to have evolutionary history with beta coronaviruses like SARS-CoV-2, which, which, which SARS-CoV-2 comes from. So just from looking at the unexpected, at the unexpected for adenovaccine, less dramatic than lipid nanovaccines, which is the mRNA vaccine, which what the, which, which, which is what the mRNA vaccines are packaged in. So. Then he goes on to explain how the, as far as the little fragment of the, of the DNA or the RMNA, they produce the same proteins. I'm going to let him explain it. The fragment of DNA in question, or the fragment of RNA, they produce the same proteins. So the target is the same. The, uh, the virus is Wrap the SARS-CoV-2 virus is wrapped in spike proteins, and the idea is to give those spike proteins to the immune system so that it recognizes them immediately if you ever get infected. And from that point of view, the 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 vaccines that are currently available are equivalent. They're all delivering. So you're not worried if it was okay. Okay, so here's what he says. Here's what he says. <clears throat> As far as the little fragment of the DNA and RMNA, they produce the same proteins. Target, the target is the same. SARS-CoV-2 wrapped up in spike proteins. The idea is to give those spike proteins to the immune system so that it recognizes them immediately if you ever get infected. That's how the concept works, right? It, 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 as soon as you're infected, it then, it, 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 it then, it then's already been exposed to the, to the virus, so it knows, how, it knows how to respond. From that point of view, the vaccines are equ equivalent. So now let's hear Bill made in the lab that it would be different that a vaccine would be different made from that that was that came from a lab instead of nature itself which i mean the lab is taking nature itself of course yes all so of that our, doesn't concern you all of our best tricks we are borrowing from nature and in right. this case we are just simply taking that spike protein and figuring out how to get it into your cells so that your immune system gets a chance to see it so if, if 
But let's assume that the Chinese were not trying to create a bioweapon. It's possible that they were. <laughs> If they were, they did a hell of a job because <laughs> they shut down the world. But let's assume they were just studying this for eleemosynary reasons. We want to we want to have them. But it got out. Maybe like on a worker's, you know, it's like when the busboy doesn't wash his hands before he goes to the bathroom and, you know, then you get food poisoning. But for the whole world. Right. Right. That's what happened. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So what's, so, so what does Bill respond? He said, does whether it's manufactured in the lab change that? Okay. That was his question. That was how he segued into this because he started talking about the lab. So Brett said, we are using our best tricks from nature. The goal here is to get the cell so that the immune system gets a chance to see it. Okay, now, let's assume, as Bill says, let's assume that the Chinese were studying, yet yeah, we're studying this, and not a bioweapon. Should we, okay, fine, so, you know, but before, okay, he didn't, before, I'm not going to preempt that. His next, his next, his next question is, is, should we be even doing this? Let's say it's not a bioweapon. Should we be even doing this? Should we be even studying these, uh, these, uh, viruses when there's a risk? That this could happen. That's the question. Should we be even studying when there's a risk that this could happen? That it could get out? So, okay. So that got out. It raises the question, should we ever be studying viruses in labs this way? If we're just going to create the problem that we're trying to... Well, that battle was taking place before the uh, COVID-19 epidemic, there was, uh, there were two factions. There was a faction that said we had no choice but to study these viruses and, in fact, to engage in what's called gain-of-function research, where we turbocharge the viruses and make them much more dangerous than they are in the condition we find them. And the argument was that we had to do that in order to know what they would be like in their dangerous form and could perhaps prepare by generating a vaccine. And okay, so his first his first answer is he explains that there's really, there are two different sides to this to, to this to this conversation two different factions one is that we have to we have there's something called gain of function research we have to engage in gain and function research gain of function gain of function research where we turbocharge and he's going to explain exactly what these what these what, what, what they're doing but they turbocharge and make them far more dangerous than in condition that we find them in order to study what they'd be like in their dangerous form and prepare potentially for generating a vaccine. Now, one of the fundamentals, one of the fundamentals of this conversation that we have to remember as we're listening to this, on all sides, on all facets, and on whether or not we're, we're, we're entertaining, you know, the, the, this debate of whether or not they should be studying, shouldn't be studying. The fact is, we are a, over a year into this virus where it's even potentially far more than that and the Chinese on the assumption as Brett started it's 90% this came from a lab had they been up front initially this whole thing could have been avoided almost entirely had they realized and been up front they could have explained exactly what they were doing and with all the brilliant minds of China and America and Europe, they could have found a potential solution. But instead, we've got a cat chasing its tail. Instead, we have, or if that's not an analogy, you know, you, you, whatever, whatever, pick an analogy. We have, unfortunately, right now, a scenario where everybody's guessing because China 
isn't being treated as the hostile and murderous government that it is. Can we ask why? Can we ask why that is? We're going to be discussing this more, but understand. So this, 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 this is the this is the the issue that we have to ask ourselves. If this is true, why couldn't we very easily just get the information from the Chinese lab? Why did they? Why did they bleach? Why you know bleach is obviously an understatement. Why did they cleanse and 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 sterilize the entire area around where this lab was? Instead of being upfront and saying, look, there was a mistake. These mistakes happen. Obviously, these mistakes happen. They're not the first time it's happened. Things get out. Okay. Let's deal with it. Why are we even having this conversation without asking that, that question that hangs over uh, above us? Why are we not now dealing with China? We're still sitting so casually in our beautiful LA studios. I can speak so academically, so quietly and calmly while people are dying out there simply because the Chinese aren't being upfront about what exactly they were doing. Let's listen to what he said. And there was another faction that said, actually, we're likely to create exactly the disaster we fear. And what was missing from this discussion was a proper evolutionary analysis. Now, the fact is, there are lots of viruses that can escape from nature and infect people. But in general, they don't have a second trick. That mm. is to say, they can infect you, they can make you sick, maybe they can kill you, but they can't jump to the next person. And so what's really conspicuous about this virus is that it had both tricks from the get-go. It infects people and it jumps well. from one person to the next with no... Okay, so now he explains the second side. There's another faction that was afraid of exactly the scenario we feared. What's the exact scenario that we feared? That it was going to escape from a lab and that the people who were developing it weren't going to be honest with us and tell us exactly what they were doing and then we're going to have to start guessing? No. No. You have two sides where you, in theory, are operating in a moral society where everyone's going to be open and upfront, and then you have this conversation. But that's not the conversation we're having. We have to remember that this is not being framed in, in, in the proper terms. Nonetheless, I'll explain what he's saying. So he said the other faction. The other faction is that we were afraid of exactly the scenario that we feared. What was missing was a proper evolutionary analysis. There are lots of viruses that can jump from nature and affect people. They can infect and kill, but they can't jump to the next person. Here, what's most conspicuous about this virus is that it had both tricks from the get-go. It infects and jumps. Now, Bill is going to interject and he's going to say, and now it's mutating. But shouldn't they get milder? Here's his, 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 his hypothesis. Shouldn't they get milder? His, his assumption. If you know, they don't, the idea is of a virus is it wants to survive. If it kills off every host, then it's not going to survive. So if it's going to get more dangerous, then in essence it's going to ultimately kill everybody. So the general, the general, uh, the general method of a of a virus is as it as it as it as it mutates it gets weaker. Now I, I want to say something that you know if you were to be following the news as of I don't know the summertime, you would have seen that there were dozens of different path of different of different mutations of this virus, dozens of mutations, and they were shown to be getting weaker or or at the very least not more dangerous. Mysteriously, or let's use Brett's word, conspicuously. All of a sudden, now they're getting more dangerous. Can we ask why? 
What's changed? Has the virus changed all of a sudden? It's amazing that it happened just at the same time as the as the vaccine came out. Exact same time. Now, let's assume, let's just, I, I just want to ask some questions here. Let's assume that they're right, that it is getting more dangerous. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. But let's assume it's getting more dangerous. Could it be that it's to do with the vaccine? Could it be that if it was manufactured in the lab, maybe it was manufactured that if, in fact, they created a vaccine for it, it would then react differently? I don't know. I'm asking a question. It's not, it's not a question that Brett's going to ask. It's not a question that, Drew, that Bill's going to ask. It's not a question that Heather's going to say. So why, why, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's true. And, and I, but I, I would really, I actually don't, don't, don't suggest that. I don't necessarily think that we're, that we're seeing new vaccine, new, new mutations that are more dangerous. Just remember, there is no one dying from the flu. The, the flu right now doesn't exist. There is no flu this season. There's only COVID-19. No flu. Everybody who's being diagnosed with the, with the virus, with the, with the COVID-19, is it possible that some of them have the flu? Is it possible that a big percentage of them have the flu? Or does the flu this season become completely... We figured out how to, how to, how to, how to, how to eradicate the flu. All you have to do is just introduce a, a more dangerous version of it. Is that, is, that, is that what's going on? Is that what's going on? And you wonder, you know, the reason why they're talking about how even if you get the... the why if you get the, 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 the virus right now, does that not give you the same antibodies from the virus as it would have, and you still need the vaccine, etc. Maybe they know themselves. Maybe they know themselves that this that that, that it's not actually, actually what's going on. Maybe they know that themselves. So these are just different ideas. I think we have to think about if we're having this conversation. We have to ask ask these questions. I'm going to let Bill, as he interjected here, he asks about the mutations. Let's hear what he has to say and let's hear the response. And now it seems to be having a third trick, which is it's mutating, which, of course, is not new. Viruses are always mutating. That's why flu shots are very often so ineffective, because you're getting the vaccine for, that's why I never wanted a flu shot, for the one that was around last year. Sometimes they're they're as little as 10% effective. But, okay, so this one is definitely mutating. We have a lot of them now. The South African one, the British one, they're they're all over the world now. I heard at the beginning of this that they usually get milder viruses as they mutate because they want to survive. They don't want to kill anybody, then they got no host. You might expect that a virus that did emerge from a lab that was doing gain-of-function research would precisely not do the thing that wild-type viruses would do, that it might exactly do what we seem to be seeing, get more virulent, get more pathogenic. You think it's getting more virulent, the, well, the mutations? If, if you think about it, the, the expectation amongst those who have been seriously investigating the question of whether this is a gain-of-function uh, lab escape virus uh, is that the virus would have been passed through either animals in the lab or tissues in the lab in order to use evolution to uh, re-rig it. And Okay, so Heather's response was... This is an indication that it's that it's that it's uh, from a lab, right? When Bill asks about the mutations, this is an indication it's from the lab. Uh, it's uh, uh, from the lab of gain of function research, and not wild type because it's getting more virulent and more pathogenic. 
You think it's getting, you think it's getting more virulent? Says, asks Bill. So now Brett's gonna respond. Brett's gonna respond. The expectation among those who have been seriously studying the question of whether this is gain of function lab escape virus is that the virus would have been passed either through animals in the lab or tissues in the lab in order to use evolution to re-rig it. Okay, so again, we're not, we're not discussing that word. You're just going to have to accept it here. Evolution to re-rig it. That's, that's, that's how they would use gain-of-function lab research. He explains, that means that tension was put on the virus, pulling it in the direction of certain things. Some of those things were intentional, intentional, like infectivity of human cells, which may have given it extra capabilities, like this furin cleavage site, this P-R-R-A-R, that is absent in other viruses like it. But SARS-CoV-2 has it. Now, so we're seeing certain things that, again, from an evolutionary perspective, lead us, he's using his word, lead us in the, in the, in the direction that this was manufactured. There are too many things, too many, too many, too much, uh, cons- conspicuous, uh, 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 too, too many things that are, inc- that are, that are conspicuous here that are t- t- showing, t- that are telling us, that are telling us that this is, that this was designed in a lab. And let him explain more further. That means that effectively tension was put on the virus, pulling it in the direction of certain things. Some of those things were intentional, like infectivity of human cells, which may have given it extra capacities like this, uh, this furin cleavage site that no other virus like this has, but SARS-CoV-2 does. Um, so in any case, in an attempt to give it these extra capacities, lots of things will have been uh, inflicted on the virus, including things that we don't think about. Um, so many of the characteristics, the fact that this virus attacks so many different tissues in the body does not seem natural. The fact that it does not, at least at the beginning, did not seem to transmit outdoors nearly at all is very conspicuous. I mean, after all, most animals live outdoors. So a virus that seems to be adapted to indoor transmission is a bit conspicuous in this case. But I think Heather's point is, all right, you take the tension off of it. You let it go into the human population. Okay, before we, we, we respond to that, so again, so he's saying in an attempt to give it these extra capacities, lots of things will have been inflicted on the virus. Again, they manipulated the virus, including things we don't think about. So again, so if you don't think about them because you don't know what the lab was studying or attempting, so shouldn't we have an investigation? Shouldn't we bring those murderers into the most to, to 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 Gitmo and give them the most intense torture of their lives until they speak about every single thing that they were doing when you have millions of lives, hundreds of millions of lives that are being destroyed minute by minute by our actions? Shouldn't we be doing everything we can? We have no idea, he says. The fact that this virus attacks so many different tissues in the body does not seem natural. The fact, at least at the beginning, it did not seem to transmit outdoors nearly at all, is very conspicuous. And that didn't stop California from shutting down the beaches, arresting or giving somebody a ticket who was alone on a beach 
uh, uh, filling up the volleyball areas with sand. Uh, with sand. That didn't stop any of them, despite the fact that, as Brett says himself, it wasn't transmissible outdoors. It's very conspicuous, he says. After all, most animals live outdoors. So isn't it conspicuous the virus is adaptive to indoor transmission? Wow, mighty conspicuous. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that conspicuous? What happens when you take the tension off as it moves into the human population, as it infects millions of individuals, it should move in the direction that is best for it rather than the most sense for the researchers. I mean, in essence, this is, you know, this is the conversation. We're not going to have this now, but just think, you know, if anyone who follows follows what's going on with AI, this is exactly the one of the concerns of AI. That with artificial intelligence, they're in essence creating something that they no longer have control over because it now operates for itself. It's not like a computer that can only respond with the information that it's given. AI has intelligence, as they as they call it. You know, AI has intelligence. I always joke with people. People say you have a smartphone. I say I joke. I don't. I don't put. I don't put physical. I don't attribute physical attributes, uh, human attributes, to inanimate inanimate objects. So there's no such thing as a smartphone or a dumb phone. If it's if it's relative, so then yes, I guess this phone has more capabilities that would make it smarter than the other one. But, but smart is a term that you know we reserve for people. But in reality, artificial intelligence is 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 it, is it, it has intelligence in the fact that it can it can respond without being prompted. However, that works. I'm, I'm not. I don't understand how that works. But this is what we're talking about for this virus. If it was designed, if it was designed to act on its own then the researchers can't necessarily predict it. But they can at the very least tell us what, what they did to manipulate it. And that's the point. That means that the response we are seeing, says Brett, makes the most sense that it's now free to explore evolutionary space. Listen to Heather. It spreads out. We've now got many millions of individuals with infections. It's now going to move in the direction that makes the most sense for it rather than the most sense for the researchers. So, yes, I think there's every possibility that what we are seeing is um, a response to this virus now being free to explore evolutionary space. And the common theme is we need an evolutionary perspective on the research that's being done. It seems that there is there are certainly perverse incentives to once you start doing research to try to keep doing that research regardless right. of whether or not it's still good for humanity, right? And <clears throat> excuse me, um, whether or not this virus emerged from a lab or not actually has implications for how it is likely to behave now that it's out in the world. Now, she. She um, suggests something that really is is not necessarily connected to this conversation, but in general, we know that once the government gives a grant for something, they're always going to find a reason to discuss it. You know, there's a great a great conversation between uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, and Jimmy Carson about Johnny Johnny Carson, excuse me, there uh, about Johnny Carson and, and and Ronald Reagan, where Ronald Reagan is discussing the excesses of government and the waste of government and everything like that, and. And uh, he said, he said, yeah, they, they did a study. Uh, they spent X amount of money uh, to find out that, that people who are young, uh, young, happy, and wealthy are 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 are, are have, have a more satisfying life than people who are old, uh, you know, miserable and poor. You know, something like that's you know, he he obviously discussed it in a different a different a different different manner. But the point was was that they have no that once they give once they're given 
research to discuss, they're all to, to find, they're always going to try to. There's perverse incentives of endless research. So that's just a general problem when it comes to research. As someone like her, who, who like she is, who understands, who's you know, who's 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 been in research her life. So she, you know, she'll she just mentions that at the beginning. It's really not not connected. It's a greater conversation with, that needs to be had, but it's not necessarily connected. Here, there are implications whether this virus originated in a lab or not, as we discussed. So yes, it does require additional research. And how, therefore, we should we should imagine how likely these things are going to be going forward. So we should have been paying attention to the lab theory at the beginning, but we didn't because it was politicized. Really, is the moral there? Really, that's the moral there. Is that the moral? What is the moral? The moral is that it was politicized. Is that the moral, or the moral is that you politicized it? That's the moral. You know, one of the unfortunate realities of the in the war of messaging is that is that one side one side takes one side has to often take the extreme other side because because the other side doesn't give it any room we've talked about this in the in the, in the capacity of of uh, the president denying the russian invest, russian collusion he doesn't deny ultimately whether or not Russia attempted to um, to meddle in the American election of 2016. The president has no idea what the Russians decided to do, just like he has no idea what other nations decided to do. In, in, uh, unless obviously, uh, you know, he was um, he was briefed potentially, but meaning he doesn't know any more than than than, than he would that he he doesn't know any more information. That he wouldn't have been briefed as president. He's not. He's not. He wasn't in on it. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the media, the media, don't give him that ability. The moment he would acknowledge that the Russians meddled, he is now complicit. He is now an accomplice. They colluded. They didn't meddle. They colluded. Right? Collusion requires two parties. Meddling is one. They could have sent out memes and different things, but that's one side of things. It's not two sides of things. It's not that's not both parties. So the president understands that if he would acknowledge, yeah, sure they meddled, but all you they meddled, you they colluded with you. That's just unfortunately in the war of messaging. So Bill so 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 and this and this happens unfortunately all the time. This happens in the in the climate debate. The left says climate has only is gonna destroy our world, climate change is gonna destroy our world. In the next 10 years, if we don't do something drastic to change it, and the right says, no, there's no such thing as climate change. Now, the right could come to the table and acknowledge that there might be such a thing as climate change. The right could come to the table and suggest that there, that, that there could even be things that we can do. But, it, but, but unfortunately, because the government, because, because the left has a complete, complete monopoly, a complete monopoly, of the of the of the transmission of information, the moment the right would recognize that there's any sort of any sort of climate change, then the only thing to do is what the left wants to do about it. This is the war on messaging. This is the war on messaging, and 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 unfortunately, it was just as much prevalent here as anything else. Yeah, it was just they have to deny they had to deny everything that they're talking about now for months. They've denied. Why? Why do they have to deny it? Why couldn't they why couldn't they discuss it? Well, unfortunately, 
unfortunately, to discuss it would mean that they have to have other conversations. You know, I love, I just want to point, I wanted to point this out. I was going to say it earlier, but it's an amazing thing. You're not allowed to use the word China virus, but Bill can use the word South African or British. You can't call it a China virus. Why can't you call it a China virus? But you can call it a South African virus. You can call it a British virus. What's different? What is different about the, the two different terms? There's an article about this. You know, there's an article about this, but, but we all, we all know this is, that there's, that, you know, it's, 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 it's illegal. And it's not as though Asians are, are actually given preferred treatment in America. I don't know anyone is following. There was just a, a ruling, uh, uh, against Asians in, in, in Yale. Yeah, they, they, they're, they're, they're being targeted in, in, in all sorts of Ivy, in, in all sorts of Ivy League universities. I'll read this list quickly. I think I'm going to Daily Wire last week. It's because it's a good way to, to bring it up. On Tuesday, President Joe Biden signed a few more executive orders. He's approaching 30. By now he's over 40. Who needs Congress, right? In one, with a, with the mouthful of a title, memorandum condemning and combating racism, xenophobia, and intolerance against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the United States. Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. The president, in essence, banned the use of the term China virus, advancing inclusion and belonging for people of all races during origins and ethnicities is critical to guaranteeing the the safety and security of the American people. During the coronavirus disease, during the coronavirus disease 2019 pandemic, inflammatory and xenophobic rhetoric has put Asian American and Pacific Islander persons, families, communities in business and business at risk. At risk of what? At risk of what? I know, I know, because as we've talked about, you know, they know that the moment they use these terms, then the mob is going to come out and going to kill everybody who's Asian American. That's what they think of, of, of the, of, of, of the regular Americans out there. They think they're just going to exact vengeance on the Chinese. Exactly what they do. The federal government must recognize it has played a role in furthering these xenophobic sentiments through the actions of political leaders, including references to the COVID-19 pandemic by the geographic location of its origin. Such statements have stoked unfounded fears and perpetuated stigma about Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders and have contributed to increasing rates of bullying, harassment, and hate crimes against the AAPI persons. AAPI. Everyone's about their acronyms. Everyone's about their acronyms. You know, the LGBTQRS and the AAPI. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Words matter, people. How we refer to people make, makes a difference. Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. These actions defy the best practices and guidelines of public health officials and have caused significant harm to the AAPI families and communities that must be addressed. I'm not saying that the Chinese people did this. I'm referring to the government. Why is that not, why, why is that distinction not clear? How come the left doesn't see that distinction? Before the order was enacted, before the, one section reads, executive departments and agencies shall take all appropriate steps to ensure the official actions, documents, and statements, including those that pertain to the COVID-19 pandemic, do not exhibit or contribute to racism, to, to racism, xenophobia, and intolerance against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Before the order was enacted, CBS News wrote the Biden executive Order is also expected to direct federal agencies like the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, to examine whether there are xenophobic references like China virus 
and any existing policies. This is what they should be doing, right? Published under the, under the Trump administration. This is what they should be doing. This is what they should be putting any effort, any effort. Should they be even exerting even one second into this conversation? Former President, sorry, former President, I'll just read it as it is. Former President Donald Trump said COVID-19, which indisputably originated in China, originated in uh, China. He often declared the Beijing's Cover, Beijing's early cover-up of the virus in Wuhan led to the pandemic. Remember, China closed down travel, closed down travel from Wuhan to other parts of America, but it did not, to, to move from Wuhan to other parts of the world, including America, England, Italy, but it did not close down, excuse me, Wuhan closed down travel from out to other parts of China, Beijing, Shanghai, etc. But it did not close down travel to other parts of the world. So yes, yes, they are complicit. Yes, they knew exactly what was going on. In March, a reporter asked Trump at a White House press conference why he was calling the coronavirus the Chinese virus. And he said, we should have that clip ready, but it, because it comes from China. Trump replied, that's why. The press, of course, was apoplectic, apoplectic. How dare he call the virus by site by where it, where it originated? Call a virus by the site of where it originated. The White House Twitter account later noted that past pandemics have routinely been named just like that flu. Just like that. Spanish flu, the West Nile virus, Zika, Ebola, all names for places. Before the media's fake outrage, even CNN called the Chinese coronavirus. The White House tweeted, but the hypocrisy of the MSM is never to be underestimated. Ari Fleischer, the former press secretary to President George W. Bush, caught the irony of Biden's move right away, citing a Washington Post headline. Wait a minute. He wrote on Twitter, after months of being told it was racist to refer to COVID as a China virus, WP refers to the new strains as British and South African variants. So now you can use the same name, the name of, an, of the nation where it comes from so long as it's not China. Got it. Now, is this a preferred status of China? Is this a preferred status of China? Or is this, or is this something that, that they do to minorities? Now, here's the reality. They do this only when it comes, when it's convenient for them. There is unfortunately, there is unfortunately a very, very serious issue where because, because people have been influenced have been influenced from from China. They have taken money from China. China. So they are no longer impartial when it comes to dealing with China. It's just the reality. It's next week Parish again, Parsha Smushbatim discusses what what it's a different a different possible, but what exactly bribery does. What does bribery do? This is an article coming out of the Federalist. We, we, I'm gonna, I want to read this because, because they do it. They do a better job than I would. As President Biden takes office, America faces a new chapter in the China challenge. No President Biden. A major part, which involves protecting American higher education. China's Thousand Talents Plan has ensnared thousands of American scholars and researchers, including former Harvard professor. University professor and chemistry chair Charles Lieber, indicted in June by the Justice Department for lying about China's 
$50,000 monthly payments to him in exchange for research expertise. Confucius Institutes, campus centers run by the Chinese government, spread propaganda and serve as nodes in China's soft power campaign. What's more, China's People Liberation Army has sent some 2,500 military officers to under, undercover as graduate students in Western universities, including in the United States. While Biden has commented directly on Confucius Institute's China Daily, the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda mouthpiece, is already calling for him to begin correcting the Trump administration's fear-mongering of the Confucius Institute. Meanwhile, Biden's pick for United Nations Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield spent a large portion of her confirmation hearing attempting to backpedal her paid speech at a Confucius Institute in 2019. Thomas Greenfield has spoken optimistically of Big Brother Brother China, investing in Africa, and modeling the African nations, for African nations, the path from poverty to an industrialized economy. It's coming out of the Federalist. With American higher education vulnerable to foreign interference, one fundamentally necessary policy is transparency. We need transparency from colleges and universities about any gifts they receive from foreign powers. Should that be such a controversial issue? Transparency? Transparency. Why can't we get transparency from China as to what they were doing in the lab? Because there were too many people that would be that would be complicit. That's why. Too many people would be complicit. Transparency provides a sunlight that discourages colleges and universities from entering shady foreign deals in the first place. It affords the data that makes more targeted policies possible. It helps watchdogs like my organization, the National Association of Scholars, distinguish benign from potentially pernicious foreign gifts. It permits the public to see what foreign money is flowing into their college or alma mater and make informed decisions about where to send their kids, where to donate, or whether to enroll. Since the 1980s, federal federal law has acquired colleges and universities to report gifts and contracts with foreign sources when they total $250,000 or more in a single calendar year. But this legal provision called Section 117 for its place in the Higher Education Act was never enforced. As a result, colleges and universities racked up foreign benefactors frequently behind closed doors in a result in 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 hush-hush deals. They routinely failed to file the legally required disclosures, sometimes going to elaborate lengths to avoid public scrutiny. Two years ago, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos launched investigations into non-complying universities, the first time any secretary had enforced Section 117 since President Ronald Reagan signed into law in 1986. So we had two more years of Reagan. Nobody did anything. Let's assume that nothing was really going on. But we had we had eight years of Bush. How come none of Bush's secretaries did anything? What can we expect of Clinton and, and Obama? But how come none of Bush's secretaries did anything? Secretary of Education, Education Department. Colleges and universities began to back file. That was my own commentary there. Colleges and universities began to back file old disclosure forms with unreported sums totaling more than six point five billion. 
billion. So again, the cap is $250,000 and, and it's totaling to $6.5 billion. The sheer scale of these numbers is staggering, amounting to $6.5 billion flowing to American institutions of higher education from foreigners. The influence and dependency produced by such sums shows why transparency is so important. Unlike re many regulatory requirements, transparency requirements pose few burdens on the subject but offer great benefits for the public. Filing disclosures is not technologically difficult for colleges and universities. Sophisticated entities with professional finance and accounting offices that successfully solicit and track contributions from thousands of sources with relative ease. Last year, the U.S. Department of Education further simplified the process by launching a new online portal to receive such reports. The department even found that institutions it investigated produced data at a very high level of, of granularity, including retrieving records of individual gifts totaling $100 or less, according to most according to its most recent report issued in November. Yet higher education has fought foreign gift, trans, foreign gift transparency at every step. For years, colleges simply refused to file disclosure reports. Once the Trump administration began enforcing the law, colleges and universities declared it unfair. In a recent letter to Biden outlining its policy with wish list, the American Council on Education the strongest arm of the D.C. higher education lobby, as well as some three dozen co-signers, targeted 117 reporting requirements, calling for a halt in the new enforcement efforts. What are they hiding? Backpedaling on foreign gift transparency would be a mistake. It is imperative that state legislatures enact state-level transparency laws. Boards of regents should institute should initiate public reports on any foreign gifts or contracts received by universities. Parents, alumni, students, and taxpayers should demand transparency of colleges and universities. In addition to maintaining and building upon the current transparency guidelines at a minimum, the Biden administration must, so these are the requests obviously from this article from the Federalist. Number one, retain and build on the new information collection portal produced by DeVos to ensure that the public has access to the names of all foreign sources and donors. Two, complete the rulemaking procedure currently underway to allow the department. There, we're not going to read all these, but the point is, is that there are many, many things that can be done. But why aren't they? Why aren't they? Well, because unfortunately, unfortunately, there are too many people who are getting money. There are too many people who are gaining off this. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, people have no idea. People have no idea. If they have no idea, that's the problem. Why don't they have any idea? Because new information isn't allowed to be discussed. The moment information is discussed, you're labeled a conspiracy theorist. It's a great quote. We're going to read it. We're going to just, you know, mention some of these quotes. There's a great quote I saw. Robert Novak, love your country, but never trust your government. That's a great quote. Love your country, but never trust your government. The sages tell us, the Marxists, there's a certain chain, certain favor that our, our, our country has to us. It's, it's, it's innate. It's innate. But the fact is, is that, is that the government is not operating 
with our interests at heart. They are bought by all these different special special interest groups. And unfortunately, unfortunately, what happens is, what happens is, is that when people don't have the proper information, when people don't have the proper information, they don't know how to respond. And why don't they have the proper information? Because they're labeled conspiracy theorists as soon as they even bring up the conversation, they bring up the topic. They're labeled conspiracy theorists. They're labeled xenophobes. They're labeled xenophobes if they even, if they even discuss it. This is a very big problem. And China is just one example. China is one example. But, but this is a problem that extends to so many different areas. So many different areas. Unfortunately, we are not allowed to discuss something. The moment the mainstream media decides that this topic is, 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 is off limits, you're labeled the worst things imaginable. Take hydroxychloroquine. The president mentioned hydroxychloroquine and the AMA came out that the hydroxychloroquine was dangerous. How many lives were lost because they weren't given early treatment of a very simple effective drug? Instead, as I can tell you, I have spoken to many doctors. They'll tell you, yeah, it's not dangerous, but it's, it's not effective. There's no, it's not, it's not efficacious. Well, how do we know that? Miraculously, miraculously, the, miraculously, the AMA came out after the election and said, oh yeah, it's not dangerous. Amazing. Have we started to use it? Have we started to, to, to administer it? To, to prescribe it en masse? Nope. We haven't. We haven't. But the point is that if you've even discussed these things, if you've even mentioned these things, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Who does that? Only one side. Only one side. It's a, it's a, it's, 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 it's a very scary thing. It's a very scary thing. Very scary thing when we are being labeled conspiracy, where, 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 where the, where speech is being suppressed on the scale that it is. You cannot have a free society where speech is suppressed. You cannot have a free society where speech is suppressed. I really want to go on. I have another whole, whole topic prepared. It's connected. It's very much connected. But, uh, what can I say? We've already hit an hour. It's amazing. Time flies. Time flies. So we're going to call it quits for today. And, uh, we'll save it for next week. Please God. I am your host. This is the morning mix. I'm your host, Ali Shapiro. We hope you have a great weekend. Good Shabbos. And we will please God be with you again bright and early Sunday. Bye for now.